The message for today, the third Sunday after Pentecost, rises up out of that appointed gospel reading from Luke chapter 9. On the last Sunday, the last day of the month of June, heading into the 4th of July holiday and the week ahead, we all follow something in life, don't we? Something that will give us identity, something that will give us purpose and meaning in life. Maybe it is our career, maybe it's our family, maybe it's a sports team, something, a particular interest or, or pursuit. In the gospel lesson for today, a person comes up to Jesus and says, I will follow you wherever you go. And that's a pretty big statement, isn't it? And I wonder, did the individual who said this really know what he was saying? Did he know what he was signing up for? Would he be getting into? And I think that's a big no, he did not. Within Judaism in this first century at the time, there were lots of teachers, many rabbis, each of whom attracted a following of people who spent time with them, who learned from them, who observed their lifestyle in order to follow their example. It's exactly what we see happening in the gospel lesson for today. It was protocol that the student, the disciple, would seek out the teacher, the rabbi. But that's not what Jesus did in his earthly life and ministry. He flipped that practice upside down on its head. And instead of the student choosing the teacher, Jesus, the master teacher, chose his students, his disciples. We see both of those dynamics going on in the gospel lesson for today. The student saying, I will follow you, and Jesus, the teacher, calling to others, saying, follow me. We too, who live now in the 21st century, we are also called to follow Jesus. And so, the message for today, rising up out of that gospel reading, is entitled, I Will Follow You. May the Lord's rich and abundant blessing rest upon the preaching and the hearing and the living of his word for Jesus' sake. I think we could actually add one word to the title of that sermon for today, and that would be this. I will follow you, but because that's usually what it comes down to in life for us, doesn't it? Jesus cautions these would-be followers, these wannabe disciples, to weigh carefully what it is that they're getting into, what following him will entail. Jesus says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Think about what you're signing up for, Jesus is saying. Now these people in the gospel lesson were called, they wanted to follow Jesus, but they were imposing conditions and qualifications. Lord, let me first go and bury my father. I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. 
Now these sound like reasonable accommodations to us, right? If a person's father has died, shouldn't you do the right thing and give your father a decent burial? And wouldn't it be the proper thing to do to go back home and say goodbye to everyone there before you launch into this new chapter in life? So Jesus' response to these would-be disciples seems harsh to us. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What do we do with that? By comparison, when Jesus called those first disciples, Simon Peter, Andrew, James, and John, all of whom were fishermen, this is what we read. <clears throat> and when they brought their boats to land, they left everything to follow him. And when Jesus called Levi or Matthew sitting at his tax booth because he was a tax collector, we read this, and leaving everything, he followed him. No mention here about conditions or qualifications. Nothing about, I'll follow you, but first, they left everything to follow Jesus. And that is what we do not see in the gospel lesson for today. Jesus clearly tells us, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these other things will be added to you as well. So how about us? I believe that if we are being honest with ourselves, we will have to admit that, yes, we too are pretty skilled at imposing conditions and qualifications in following Jesus. Now's not a great time for me. I'm not ready to make that kind of commitment. I'm busy right now. I got to take care of this. I got to do that and on and on. Jesus is not looking for excuses. He's looking for disciples. You see, Jesus has called us not just to believe in him. He has called us to follow him. And it is this clear-eyed vision, this wholehearted response, that is what Jesus is looking for. Truth of the matter is that none of us measures up to such a clear-eyed vision, to such a whole-hearted response in following Jesus, including Peter himself. Remember what happened to Peter? After Jesus was arrested, brought to the house of the high priest, it was a cold night, early spring, a fire was kindled out in the courtyard of the high priest's house, and people were warming themselves by the fire. And it's there in the firelight that things got pretty 
dicey for Peter. Some of the people there said, you're one of them, aren't you? You were with him, weren't you? And not once, not twice, but three times, Peter denied ever knowing Jesus at all. And then the rooster crowed. And I imagine all of those first disciples were no better and no worse than Peter. They were like all of us, flawed, imperfect, prone to selfishness and sin. Their hope and our hope is not in our following Jesus as much as it is in Jesus following the way of the cross all the way to the hill of Calvary where that cross would be planted in the hilltop and Jesus would be lifted up on that cross, nailed to it, suspended between heaven and earth where he would suffer and die on that cross as punishment for you and for me for all of our flaws and imperfections, all of our selfishness and sin. So because of what Jesus has done for us by shedding his precious blood, by offering his life as the atoning sacrifice for all of our sin, our following now is not keeping score with God, it's not about racking up brownie points that we can present to God. It's none of that. Our following Jesus is about being set free to give ourselves as a joyful offering to Christ who has given himself to us for all that he's done for us. It is about loving and serving others as Jesus himself has loved and served us. Now all of this is still going to be imperfect in our lives. Because even when we are redeemed through the blood of Jesus, this side of heaven, sin still clings closely even when we are baptized. But God is not finished with us yet. The Lord is at work in our lives and by the grace of God, at work through those cleansing waters of baptism, we daily die to sin. We rise to new life in Christ Jesus. And we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. As Paul tells us in the epistle lesson for today, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God at work in us, those fruits of the Spirit that Paul writes about will be seen in the lives of God's children. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self 
control. My friends, following Jesus, beginning in our baptism, does not mean that we will have a sweet and easy life this side of heaven before passing to a sweet reward. Take a look at Elijah in the Old Testament lesson for today. Read what happened before today's Old Testament lesson. He had some tough times. If anything, following Jesus means that we will, like Jesus, encounter challenges, difficulties, opposition. I want to share with you a story from fellow believers in Africa who know what this means firsthand. Northern Nigeria is a dangerous place for Christians, especially for those who have left Islam to follow Christ. Barnabas Aid is an aid agency for the persecuted church, and they report that God intervened in a miraculous and powerful way to save 72 converts and their children from Boko Haram militants. These people in Nigeria cannot build themselves up as we have the privilege of doing by daily study of God's word. Most of them cannot even read. And if they can, they, they don't have a Bible or even a New Testament to be rooted and grounded in the word. The story begins with a group of uh, about 500 Nigerian Christian converts from Islam and their children. This particular tribe, it is not normal for them to gather in such large numbers, but you see they'd already been attacked by Boko Haram, and they hoped that a larger group would ensure a greater measure of security. But Boko Haram was not deterred. They attacked the group. They captured 76 of them, taking them back to their camp. And at the Boko Haram camp, the Christians were tortured. Their four male leaders were told they must deny Christ and return to Islam, or they would be shot. And the four refused. And they were duly executed in full view of the rest of the group. One week later, the four widows of those who had been executed were told they must renounce their Christian faith or their children would be shot. And they were given time to think over this dreadful choice. And as they agonized together that evening, all of a sudden their excited children came running in telling their mothers that unbelievably, Jesus himself had appeared to them and told them all would be well. Unbelievably, Jesus himself then appeared to the entire group of 72, told them not to fear, he would protect them. He said they should not renounce him, but should stay strong and that he was the way the truth, and the life. The next day, those four mothers gave their decision to the militants. They would not renounce Christ.
And the militants then prepared to shoot the children. They had them all lined up against a wall already. The youngest was a little girl of four. When all of a sudden the militants began screaming, clawing at their heads, shouting snakes, they fled the scene, and along the way some of them even dropped over dead. One of the Christian men reached for the gun of a dead militant, but that little four-year-old girl put out her hand on the arm to stop him and said, you don't need to do that. Don't you see all of the men in white who are fighting for us? You won't read about this in the Washington Post, but it is all true. We marvel at such a story, and perhaps we even have trouble believing it to be true. But the truth is, Jesus is among us here and now even as he was and is among his children in Nigeria, although we may not see him as they did, Jesus promises that he is present among us in his life-giving word, which we read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest. Jesus is present in those cleansing waters of holy baptism. Jesus is present under earthly forms of bread and wine here in the Lord's Supper. And through these means of grace, this Jesus comes to us to strengthen, to sustain us in following him who is the way and the truth and the life. And so let us rejoice in him who calls us each by name that without fear, without hesitation, we may rise up and follow him. God help us to do this for Jesus' sake. Amen.